1: I'm Aaron Sagers and this is Talking Strange. Spooky nerds and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with a den of geek network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me as the host of the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted and on the travel channel and Discovery Plus show Paranormal Caught on Camera. Now in director Mark Jenkins' new Cornish folk horror in its main. Routine is unsettling. Set in 1973 on the uninhabited island of Innes, Maine, which translates from Stone Island in Cornish, each day a nameless volunteer played by Mary Woodvine starts up a generator and makes tea, checks her wildflowers, measures soil temperature, and drops a stone in a mine shaft as she listens to hear it drop below then she records no change in a journal but then things do begin to change the concept of time begins to fluctuate even from the film's early moments you can see that or at least for the very observant viewer though she is meant to be on the island alone she begins to encounter and interact with either strange visitors or maybe they are phantoms then Then there are the lichens or lichens, if you prefer. The composite organism begins to appear on flowers and then starts to grow on her own body. This all takes place as this large stone monument stands century outside of her cottage until it doesn't. Filmed in 16 millimeter, maine is grainy. It's effectively plays with color. It highlights wood vines, icy blue eyes, and a red rain slicker. And it's evocative of the slicker scene in Don't Look Now, which was also released in 1973. Moreover, Maine feels like a video lost in time. It plays out as if the viewer, is witnessing a story told out of sequence, watching the slow unraveling of reality and of the volunteer's sanity. Jenkin, who previously won a BAFTA for his film Bait, joined me for this episode to discuss this slow burn, deliberately paced film. It premiered in 2022 at the Cannes Film Festival And in the following conversation about Ennismaine, he shares with me why it's defined as a Cornish folk horror, what does that even mean, as well as his intentional as well as accidental homages to 1970s horror, and the film's experiment with the unsettling nature of time. So let's check it out. So I saw in uh, some of your director's notes that you refer to this as a Cornish folk horror. And I was Curious if you could elaborate on that. Explain why, why, why in your mind you would consider it a Cornish folk horror.
0: um Well, I mean, to, to start with, we need we needed a label for it. I think I was I was pressed to describe it, and and originally I came up with Cornish. Um, the original description was a lost Cornish folk horror, and then somebody said, I think somebody in the marketing team said, don't describe the film as lost. That's not a good starting point. So then it was the Cornish folk horror. And then I was, I was very, I was wary of using the the word horror. I didn't know whether we wanted to promote it as a horror film because my fear was that horror film horror fans might be disappointed by the, by the horror element. And I also thought that a lot of the audience who thought they didn't like horror films wouldn't even come and see the film. So then I thought, let's not call it horror. So then it it was called, we were referring to it as Cornish folk, which doesn't mean anything. So then we dropped folk and we started describing it just as a Cornish film. But I think we've gone full circle and gone back to kind of, um, you know, based on the audience reaction, I'm quite happy calling it a, a folk horror again. My, 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 my keenness to call it a cornish folk horror was down to my own idea that folk horror was kind of like a british or even an english subgenre of horror that i didn't want to really associate with because i didn't think we were part of that kind of pastoral merry old england because in cornwall we're we're not that historically culturally we're not we're not merry old england so um I was very keen to put Cornish in there since then I've, I've educated myself more and realized that, that there is a, wherever there's a cinema tradition, there is also a folk tradition and inevitably there's a folk horror tradition. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, for me, all those words are kind of important. The the Cornishness of it is, is, is important because it's a Cornish film. It was made in Cornwall. It's the the setting is, is, is Cornish folk folk horror. I think is is a little bit tricky just because of the problems with definition of what, folk horror is and somebody pointed out to me the other day actually that my previous film bait may even be more of a folk horror than Ennis Main* is if you look at certain de- definitions of folk horror which is the sort of urban sophisticates going to a rural um location and being and being terrorized by the by the locals.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's this ethereal and mysterious element to the film and, and perhaps while trying to decipher it, tell me if I'm overreaching here, but the, the lichens or, or leachens that appear regularly throughout the movie, they're, they're a composite organism. Is this a composite ghost story where the land itself is also part of the haunting?
0: You could read it as that. Yeah. (laughs) i'm not going to go into too much detail about meaning i mean this a lot of people have talked about um the lichen element and asked me about the lichen element and it's really good to hear your you know you've obviously got some understanding of of what lichen is and what we you know what what it's believed to be because i think uh you know that we're, we're only really just learning about lichen and it's and it's many mysteries but i mean you know that's I think the lichen is kind of central to the to the theme of the film um for me more in terms of its timelessness and its and its ability to sort of outlive to adapt and outlive everything else um but yeah I like I I like your reading
1: okay i well and the timelessness of it and I certainly don't think I'm spoiling anything here but there is a radio broadcast in the beginning that suggests time is fluid the radio broadcast is 50 taking place 50 years from where we are observing the volunteer is there a time setting to this um well it's 1973 um
0: as a starting point but there are there is that it might it might be Time certainly seems to be moving in in all directions rather than just just in one direction. But in fact, that, you know that radio thing. I'm I'm, I'm so it's great that you picked up on that because actually I, I watched the film for the first time in quite a long time at the must have been in New York actually. That was the last time I saw it, um, and I hadn't seen it since we were in Cannes. And our, that radio report. Um, I listened to it as I was watching the film and it was almost like I was watching the film objectively for the first time. And that, that actually me- scared me a little bit because I'd forgotten about that. And I'm not normally, you know, when I was working on the film, I wasn't listening to that, you know, that, that sort of background sound. I would have been the, what I was looking at the performance and the color grading and the way it was cutting together. And I finally got to the point where I was relaxed with the film. The film was a finished object that I was just watching in this, In it was in the Walter Reed in, Lincoln Center and just I I almost I got as close to being an audience member as I could get I think and I just listened to the radio thing and it just it kind of freaked me out a little bit and it reminded me of why I put that in you know because I those the time when time doesn't make sense that's true true horror for me mm-hmm. that's the, I remember the first time I saw Don't Look Now and where Donald Sutherland sees the barge go by and I remember watching that and thinking, you know, what's going on there? And being really confused, like the character is. And then 10 minutes later, the penny dropping and just going, oh, you know, just like absolute chilling moment of going, right, well, you know, time's slipping. He's seen the future. He's it's a premonition. And, and so that stuff really, really unsettles me. And I didn't think I'd ever get to the point that I would watch it. I would be unsettled by something I'd done in my own film, but I think a combination of, distance from the film and also probably a bit of jet lag allowed me to (laughs) to, but i'm really glad because you know i i I, it's 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 a fine balance when you do something like that when you put something on the radio like that which effectively it's exposition so it's it's quite easy to do you know let's spoon feed the audience something out of this this radio thing that you can tweak and tweak and tweak until the final minute of the of the of the dubbing um and it's like, well, how loud is it going to be in the mix? You know, and you can talk for weeks about, oh, let's put it up a couple of dB. And then it's like, no, but then you're hitting the whole audience over the head. So for me, it's really, it's really rewarding when, when somebody like yourself comes back and, and, and hears the detail of the radio report.
1: Well, so thank I, you. Oh, uh, yeah. And I know. thank you for including it because it's, it's clearly something that especially because immediately you're establishing there's so little dialogue. So you're, you're locking into something like that. Like this must be important. Pay attention. I, and I'm glad, I I really appreciate that you brought up uh, don't look now because like that film, this is a film where color just seems so important and is popping in such a significant way. And then aesthetically this film does feel locked into the 70s and the early 70s it's very moody uh this is a i is this an intentional homage to horror of that era to hammer horror um it i
0: I knew that it was going to be set in the early 70s you know i wrote it to be set in 1973 so i wanted it to be i wanted it the feel of that era without Without really being too over the top about it, I didn't think about it when we were shooting it at all. I didn't think this is a film that's set in the 70s, but the the equipment that I use and the way that I work with that equipment. So using a Bolex camera that's just there on my shoulder, um, it, you know, and it's clockwork. Um, you can only run the camera for 27 seconds with a, with one wind. It takes hundred foot rolls of film, so you constantly changing rolls. So it's a fragmented way that I shoot, which, which leads to a lot of montage within um, within the edit. Also not recording any sound, post-syncing all the sound, using old lenses, you know, that's all of the stuff that I love using. So just through the equipment that I choose to use, it's gonna have that aesthetic. I don't have to think about it at all um, when I'm when I'm shooting. But I think it was, you know, I, I love that era of film making so and there's there, there's no direct homage there that the obvious one is don't look now and um which people have pointed out because of the red jacket and i've tried to stay away from that so I, I can't believe that i brought up don't look now in this conversation before 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 you did but um you know the red jacket wasn't that wasn't a deliberate homage that was a that was something i accidentally walked into because originally mary's character was going to have the yellow jacket and the boatman was going to have the the red jacket. So it was going to be the other way around. But quite late on in pre-production, I started to worry that Mary with long brown hair, blue jeans and a yellow jacket was going to look like Charlotte Gansberg's character in Lars von Trier's Antichrist. And so I switched the costumes because I thought, I don't want somebody thinking it's a homage to Antichrist. And then very early on in the shoot the first day I think I heard somebody in the art department say to to one of the trainees oh yeah the costumes are homage to don't look now and I was like well yeah of course I've walked straight into that you know and I and Nick Rogue is you know one of the masters as far as I'm concerned so it it looked I think Rogue's influence on the film is is everywhere it but the but the the red jacket isn't part of that that was a a, genu- a genuine accident that I wandered into. Yeah. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I have all the I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox.
1: Life can hurt, but life is sweet.
0: Little Wayne pretty PG thirteen may be inappropriate for children under thirteen. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. They
1: this is, I think, a film that demands attention, but it's also a film that's gonna challenge people. And I was curious, like, how would you how would you invite people into this film?
0: Oh wow, that's uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think if I knew that, I'd be working in marketing. I mean, I, I was talking about this last night. I was talking to um Carl, Kyle, Kyle, who made um Skinner Marink. You know, and we were we were talking about um we were asked um what, why it's important to see the film at the cinema, at, in movie theaters rather than seeing it at home. You know, and and I got thinking about that last night, and just the idea that there's something so distinct about going and seeing a film like this or like cinema rink within a theater and it's about the cinematic nature of it it doesn't mean cinematic in terms of scale of what you're seeing on the screen or even anything that you're seeing on the screen or coming out the speakers it's about that environment of being locked in a black box for an hour and a half and experiencing something without distraction and i know you can do that at home under certain circumstances but my thought last night was, the thing about going to the cinema to see a film is, and especially if it's something that unsettles you, when you leave, you've then got to get, get yourself home. And if that film is continuing to play, continue to haunt you and has got under your skin, that, I, that for me, that's a really incredible experience. That I remember the, when I went to see Black Swan and I went to see it on my own in, in a theatre, a couple of miles away from where I live here. And I had to cycle home afterwards and still now all these years later it's the most vivid memory of cycling back with this film continuing to play in my head and I think they're the films that I like you know the ones that you 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 leave the theatre and they're still playing in your head and with this one I think we made a three act I think Ennis Main is a three act film we just didn't shoot the third act so the third act is for the audience to play out in their head um when they, when they leave the cinema. So again, you know, I know that approach isn't for everybody, but for those that do respond to those films. And I think this will be a a good experience.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm based in Brooklyn, uh, New York. So I I can most certainly think of the theater that I would, like to go see this in and then have the conversation with people right afterwards uh, about it and about what it means. And I, I know we're running out of time, but I was just curious, is there an order to this film where you could arrange it in a linear way? You could,
0: but I think it would drive you mad because I think you'd get to the stage where you might you might start doing that. And by the time you get to the end, you think you've got everything in place and then you get the last end bit in place. And then you realize, well, if that's the case, then the beginning doesn't make sense. And so you have to switch it around. So I think, I think that's the, that's for me, that's the thing that intrigues me about time is that if you think about it too much, it kind of, it kind of drives you mad. You just have to, you just have to experience it and get, and get through it the best you can because, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was thinking. You know, you, you, there's there's no past and there's no future. There's only the present moment. The past is just a, a reimagining from the from the present moment with a shifting context, and the future is is the same. And I think that the, the film kind of works in in that space. I I hope.
1: Yeah, I I just wanted to um, ask about the volunteer about Mary, the um, the actor in this role, and just why. Uh, everything is really resting on her uh, and she's integral to this. So just the process of pulling her in on this and her being the right person for the volunteer, it's just exceptional acting.
0: Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, it's an incredible performance. What I always said to her was that, you know, if the, if the, if this film works, I said, it will be down to your performance. And I said, and if it doesn't work, it will be my responsibility just to try and, you know, which I think is always the case with with uh, with filmmaking. It's not it's not an actor's medium in terms of the control. Ultimately, I have the I have the control, but I can only make a good a good film if she gives me the building blocks to create that. And I always knew that, you know, I wrote the film for her. Um, and then went through a quite a lengthy casting process because I thought it was too obvious to cast her uh, in it. Um, and then gradu- you know, and then went all the way around the houses and came back and just said, you know, actually, I wrote this film for you. It should be you. And I now know I, there's no way I could have made this film without Mary. And I know everybody says that, you know, because once the film's finished, you can't rem- you can't picture the film with somebody else in it. But I genuinely think if it was with somebody else we'd still be shooting it now but because me and her have got quite a, a, a very strong shorthand she knows what I want and what I can do and I know what she's capable of and we can push each other and um, and that's you know that's where we got this kind of um, performance from I think she's you know she's a she's a theatre actor or has been a theatre actor predominantly she grew up in Kind of a theatre family she's at the moment in rehearsals just up the road for a for a show and obviously with theatre acting you rely on on di- on dialogue on words and on big gesture and the way that I work there's very few words there's very little room for gesture but all of that internal stuff is going on as she's built a character and if it can't come out through words and through gesture it comes out through the eyes and through, you know, the window to the soul. And, and I think that's, that's why I think it's such a great performance.
1: Well, and kudos to her. I mean, it is just such a exposed and and just very close up performance. Yeah, and um and she definitely uh, brings it uh, brings it home. So, um, uh, Mark, thanks so much for your time today. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing it in the theater and uh, discussing it afterwards with other folks. So, uh, thanks for your time. Definitely. Thanks. Aaron. It's luck. a Pleasure to talk to you. And that was director Mark Jenkins, whose new movie, the Cornish folk horror *Innis Main* is open in select cinemas now. And this has been Talking Strange. If you have stories you'd like to share of the strange and unusual or have guest suggestions, email us at talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. I'm Aaron Sagers, and until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.